was a long, long haul of trying to get hired. And that meant several auditions a day across town, learning your lines on the way, changing outfits on the way. There were plenty of times I felt like, oh, I've got to throw in the towel here. And I did pack my bag several times, thinking, this is it, I'm calling it a day, I'm going home. But just in the nick of time, something would come through that would just, you know, incentivize me just a tiny bit more. And like, okay, this will pay that rent check and this will cover me till that point, and then we'll just keep going. Welcome to Ladies First with Laura Brown. I'm Laura Brown, editor in chief of InStyle Magazine. You know who I am by now. Anyway, each week I'm talking to a different mega lady about what she does, how she does it, and what we can learn from her. Naomi Watts was my very, very, very first celebrity interview for a magazine. We sat at a hotel in Sydney, we had chicken and mashed potato, and I got over my nerves. And here we are, a few moons later, now fast friends. I am her greatest admirer. Her career is a lesson to many of us, but I want to talk to her about tenacity. Hello, Naomi Watts. I would like to welcome Naomi Watts to the Ladies First podcast. What a first lady she is. She's a ladies <laughs> first in what she does, but today she looks like she's first in being a mountain maiden. Is there nothing you can't do, honestly? Thanks for having me. Thanks for being had. I want to uh, just preface this, uh, everyone. Oh, look, breaking news. Naomi is... She's English by birth, but has been claimed and has claimed in a large degree our fine country of Australia, where she spent most of her youth before hitting the older, the big screen and uh, moving to America. But Naomi and I first met, I think it was 2001. I was working for Harper's Bazaar magazine in Sydney, Australia, and Naomi was coming out in Mulholland Drive which was, of course, the movie that broke her, not her spirits, broke her in, in, in Hollywood. <laughs> and Naomi was my first big celebrity magazine interview. We, I, so we went to this hot hotel in Sydney called the Kirkton. It was like the fashion groovy hotel. And you'd been acting for a long time, but you were going into this new uh, new level. And I'll, again, I will let you talk, Naomi. Um, but... <laughs> I love when you talk. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a lot. Um, I like to distill every woman that I'm doing this podcast with like a, a fine fragrance. And uh, number one, Naomi is really graceful and, and really kind and really, really good at what she does. But what you don't know when you see her there in this little maiden outfit <laughs> is she is one of the most tenacious and tough women I've ever met. That's what I want to weave through this conversation too about the idea of, of tenacity and how it's featured in your life. So now I'm going to let you talk. Let's go back almost 20 years. Let's go the Mulholland Drive time, but preface that with the amount of time that you had been working in Los Angeles before that happened. Yeah, it was a long, long haul of about 10, 12 years going through the motions of trying to get hired. And that meant several auditions a day across town, learning your lines on the way, changing outfits on the way. And how do you make that happen when no one knows your work before that point? And a lot of Australians came over to America being launched with a project, with a film or a show that resonated over here. But I, I really didn't have that. So it was like starting again at ground zero and, and just having to convince people. And it did take tenacity. It did. There were plenty of times I felt like, oh, I've got to throw in the towel here. And I did 
pack my bags several times so thinking this is it I'm calling it a day I'm going home but just in the nick of time something would come through that would just tantalize me just you know incentivize me just a tiny bit more and like okay this will pay that rent check and this will you know cover me till that point and then we'll just keep going and you are you walk into a room and you're judged not just on your talent but your physicality your way of of being so you were submitting yourself for judgment yes often multiple times a day for a decade yes it was very painful it was demoralizing and each time people would say oh um no she's she's not funny enough she's not sexy enough or too intense that was a big one so i'm constantly trying to think oh who do they want me to be who should i put on what's the persona that i need to bring into the room to get hired and i think it just made everyone uncomfortable including myself and I made myself unhirable, basically. And that just was a, a cycle I couldn't break for a long time. When you're putting yourself up for public review all the time, and then if it's things aren't working out or whatever, then of course you're going to get squirrely. Awana, where do you think your tenacity comes from? I'd say my grandmother, if she's the matriarch of the family, still going strong at 95 years old. And she is a legend, lived through the war. She's a doer. and this part I'm a bit different from, but yeah, she's a doer more than a thinker and a, a less of an ideas person, but just get up, get up off your dinger and don't sit there reading a book, do something, you know, like, I'm like, but I'm enjoying this book, but bless her. She motivated all of us. I like to work hard. I'm not someone to sit still. And, you know, sometimes that works to a detriment for me, obviously, because sitting still, great things can happen too. But I just went on Wikipedia, like looked you up just for a hot second a couple of days ago, and she was like, just gravitated towards harrowing, emotional roles. And I was like, yeah, you not only work hard, but you, when you really started to find some, some renown and, and the roles that you took afterwards, you were like, all right, I'm here now. I'm going to go. I'm going to get in there. Well, I got very lucky with having that great role in David Lynch's film and therefore the whole film industry saw that film. It was a good film that is still discussed to this day, you know, 20 years later and a terrific role. The duality in, within that character, you, sometimes you don't get to play those two colours in a whole career, much less one film. So it was really a gift and every director of any note was seeing that film. And so the phone just started ringing and one thing led to another and I had a really good run with other great filmmakers for a good 10 years. And yes, harrowing movies have definitely a appealed to me. I like going there. I like digging deep. I think we all have those kind of emotions to unpack. And therefore, I'm not afraid of it. I, I also, as you know, being my close friend, like to be silly and, and funny and do crazy lighter stuff as well. But unfortunately, what happens in our industry very easily is like you do three or four things that sort of speak to a certain tone. And then you sort of get locked in. And there was a period in time where I got offered lots of romantic comedies or other lighter stuff. And I didn't say yes at the time. And then suddenly there's this library of a woman on the edge of a nervous breakdown or who's grieving or who's, you know, fighting a disaster. Or all at once. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
you can have it all, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly, you know, you've locked yourself in. But every now and again, something comes up that is lighter, you know, like St. Vincent's. It was just funny. I was on this funny wiki line. It was just made me laugh because I was like, I don't think that anybody thinks that now at all. And also in the way that you, you know, use Instagram really well and, and really with a real ease and a real lightness. And I think that helps to communicate so much more. Well, that's actually one of the upsides of Instagram because I have found that that is a space I can show that other color where I'm not taking it all too seriously and I'm not, you know, stuck up snob. And also one thing I just want to point out for the listener is that it's, it's, it's Mulholland Drive sat on a shelf for two years, didn't it, before it came out? Oh, yeah, a good two years. It felt like another story yet again that wasn't going to work for me and it was devastating. I was back in the grind of having to sell myself again and audition, but the call came and they said, David wants to speak to you. And he said, now Naomi, I've been thinking about this. We're going to make a movie. (laughs) You said, go on. Yes. And (laughs) yeah, he told me how he was going to close it up. He'd had a good meditation and he'd come up with another 18 pages of story that was going to make it a movie. And we'd already shot a two-hour pilot, so it was very close to being a finished product anyway. It sounds trite, but the business of acting is so unbelievably fickle. And to have something sit on the shelf that then came out and, and catapulted you to this heady day where you are today, how have you kept your focus and how has it changed? Oh, it's ever evolving. I just try and move with it and ride the wave, building that tenacity, creating that foundation was incredibly helpful because there's always going to be challenges. You can't ever go, oh, I've made it. And now, you know, it's all smooth sailing. You've got to keep thinking and of how to um, stick with it and try new things and be curious and learn more, but also be prepared for more highs and lows. I've had plenty of things that seem to be incredibly promising at the get-go that don't turn out. What were you ambitious for when you, when you started out and what are you ambitious for now? Mm. In the beginning, I definitely was captivated by storytelling and expression, but I didn't know it to be a job or a career or that it would take my life into a certain direction. I knew it was an art form, but I didn't know how to extrapolate that into something tangible. Now I feel like I still love what I do. I'm still authentically connected to the experience of storytelling. I'm moved by stories. I like to be part of someone's vision. But I also now crave a bit more quiet and a bit more security. Um, I want a blankie and a cup of tea and a couch. (laughs) But I'm never going to be complacent or bored. I don't want to be bored. I like new things being thrown at me. I'm just a bit more careful now. And and through this, you know, um, shit show, that's the technical term for uh, for COVID, you and the kids, how have you kept your focus through that? Oh, you know, a cocktail doesn't hurt. (laughs) I won't lie. (laughs) Glass of vino more often than not. Um, Trying to think small and not too far ahead was helpful in the beginning because if you do get too large in your thinking, you start panicking. Just getting through the day in incremental moments and 
focus on small victories. <laughs> you know, literally, I watched a Netflix show, or I read a script, or I did a Zoom that day. Just little things that can inspire you. Because if you start thinking too far ahead, oh my God, the world is going to come crashing down. And luckily, we don't have a lot to complain about. We're in a much better situation than most, but it still does breed anxiety. And the only way was to just think small. That and good conversations with good people, whether it was a Zoom cocktail with a bunch of friends, um, a long two-hour FaceTime with somebody else while you're chopping the veggies, making a soup, you know, um, whatever it takes, you know. Yeah, there's been times through all of this just felt like absolute shit and and don't want to get out of bed and, and can't face it anything, you know. Now I always say when people say, how are you? I go, I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm, and I'm okay with being okay. I'm not great. <laughs> and a small twitch happens in her left eye. Being a mom through all this too is such a, is, is a lot of place to spend. Yes, it is. Particularly at the beginning, you know, where you don't have a handle on it completely. Now we've had some practice. We know what we're doing a bit better, but I have felt plenty of times like a complete failure as a mum and gone, here's the iPad for another hour because I've got a meeting or because I can't deal. Those things that you thought you had in place before, they're not consistent now. I'm just going to do my best. And just getting through every day is a triumph. And again, a much more comfortable situation here than, than so many. Just like give me the iPad and sit in front of it. I, I totally understand. What was the biggest sort of learning that you've had from all of this time too? Resilience. I didn't grow up in the easiest of environments, not the worst either, but I certainly, I have a thicker skin than some, I suppose. And we've had ups and downs in our family and moving around. And so I've had some some moments where I think that has, has just helped me get through. It's funny, under this maiden dress, uh, it's an actual <laughs> elephant flesh under there. Uh, that's how, <laughs> how tough she is. But it's been interesting also, like a lot of the, the ritual of, of our jobs and everything has disappeared through this. But you went off, You I haven't seen you since you did a film. Yeah, I did a film in COVID. Yeah. So you went to Canada and then you quarantined. It looked like a very nice lake. Yep, it was a lovely spot, um, North Bay, Canada. And how was that? And you were, it was obviously, it was Philip Noyce, right? Philip Noyce, yep, another Aussie. But how was your first time to go back on a set? I literally nearly cried the first time I saw a, a call sheet because it was like, now I know what to do. I feel useful, something that's actually deliverable, not just a conversation about something. I felt incredibly back in, in my mojo um, and in my body. And it was tough with the protocols, but manageable. In Canada, much lower numbers. It was completely doable. No one got sick. It was a movie that w we shot in 11 days. So you were in quarantine for longer than the shoot? Correct. And I was really one of the only actors. There was a few other actors, but mostly the whole thing takes place on a telephone call or many ten of telephone calls. What's it called again, the film? Lakewood. Oh, and that's going to come out at some point. But yes, yeah, so and now you've got your mojo back. Now you're back in town. And another thing that I, I think a lot of people know, but along with making movies and having kids and elephant skin, Naomi also, and with her partners, runs a beauty uh, business called Onda Beauty. And uh, you have, what, four spas? 
Yep, one in Tribeca, New York, one in Sag Harbor, New York, one in Sydney, Australia, and one in Notting Hill. One in, in London, London, England. Yeah. Because she's posh. Tell me about the tenacity involved in running a business. It turns out everybody does want to feel better, right? I mean, we always did. And now more than ever, we need to feel better. So if it means doing some home facials and self-care, it's definitely going to hang in there. So a friend of mine that I went to school with, Sarah Bryden Brown, came to me and Larissa Thompson, and they both wanted to create this business. And then about a year after they got going, they asked me if I wanted to be involved because I'd already started trying the products and seen a a major difference in my skin. And although, yes, I might have elephant skin, I have very sensitive skin. So, so it kind of drew me in immediately because of my reactive skin. And then we are here trying to help spread the word that clean beauty matters. In Europe, 1400 different ingredients have been um, pronounced harmful. And in America, only just a few, like 30, 32. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done there. Um, and Larissa creates this wonderful curation of about 60 to 80 brands. And you just fling them on your face every day? <laughs> I fling them on my face. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuitsandjam. Welcome back to Ladies First with Laura Brown. That's me. I'm the editor-in-chief of InStyle Magazine, and I'm talking to my friend Naomi Watts, who, despite her innocent-looking charms, is one of the toughest birds around. What's been the the toughest and the most rewarding part of running this business? The collaboration is always great. We've actually had to do a major change because obviously many of our stores closed, if not all at one time or another. And we've had to completely pivot another 2020 overused word into the digital space. We were very much a brick and mortar business. Mm So, and now I said, I Naomi just discovered the internet. Like she, she was so shocked when she logged on just now. Do you know, so much what is, if you've had like a, a stressful day, what's like your beauty ritual or something that you do just to calm yourself down? Um, you know, cleansing the skin, always double cleanse. If you've had a makeup, um, day, whether it's, you know, for a photo shoot or just your own makeup, oil cleanser a milk cleanser, and then a foam cleanser. And then I would say an exfoliation if you feel you need extra. I don't do that more than once a week because, you know, I've got thin skin and I can get reactive if I do that too much. I like to spend a little time mixing an oil serum and then a moisturizer, patting it on, 
you know, a little spritz, making sure it goes in nicely. Yeah, you doing that on Instagram is kind of like ASMR. It's quite soothing. It is. It's nice. It's nice. And I also, my guilty pleasure is, is if I can find time at the end of every day to have a nice bath and just sit there, maybe a mask on, my hair as well as face. But how long, Anita, this is important. How long do you go prune and <laughs> number one? Two, don't, I, can, I like the idea of a bath and then I get in there and I'm like, shh. I've got to get out. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can listen to a podcast. You can listen to a book. You know, don't make the bath too hot. I get sweaty and then I can't pick anything up and then I'm just like, oh, this. Uh. How long till prune for you? 30 minutes. Uh, now, what you're also very good at is dressing and presenting yourself and looking very swish. I remember you, it was a couple of years ago now, and you were a judge at the Venice Film Festival and you had 10 days of red carpets. And and look, I know it, it does all look very lovely when, when you see it on the TV, but that's a huge amount of preparation, a huge amount of fitting. How do you get through? And then you've got to do t- 10 days of watching movies, but also doing angles. Oh yeah, that was some hard work, really hard work. And you're not sleeping. You're watching movies till, you know, sometimes a screening starts at midnight. It's a lot, but you just kind of run with the adrenaline rush and you get through it. There's a beginning, middle and end and you psychologically prepare yourself for it. What do you miss about dressing up or putting on a cute thing in a lippy? I can't say I'm dying for it. <laughs> you do notice every time I, I put on a, like a proper shoe, I go, oh, my foot feels weird. I haven't done this for a while. Yeah, do you think you're spread out? I think mine did. Yeah, maybe. But that happened when I was pregnant, by the way, because I wore Birkenstocks the whole time. And my arches dropped because of the extra weight and also just being molded into a flat shoe. I think this is the thing. COVID foot spread <laughs> is an underreported side effect. I've done a couple of things where I've had to have like photo shoots and things and it definitely feels odd, but it's fun to be back in the saddle as well. When did you first learn how to present yourself sort of photographically? There's many different art forms, for lack of a better term, that go with our business. And I'm certainly not strong in all of them. And I think that speaks to why it took so long to get hired because I'm not an auditioner. I'm not a seller. I'm a, I'm a discovery. <laughs> How do you say? Sorry, what'd you say? A discovery. I'm not all at once. Oh, you're an onion. It just takes time to feel comfy. But when did you feel like, okay, I, I've got this. When did you go, oh, all right. Was it on a shoot or a set or something? You're like, oh, I got this now. I don't think I've got it. Sometimes I feel, yes, that's a powerful feeling and I'm owning this. I definitely had a big experience and shift with the whole Mulholland Drive thing. For the first time, I had people calling. I had agents that wanted to represent me for the first time. I had directors wanting to hire me. I didn't have to audition from that point forward. What are you least confident in and most confident in? I'm most confident in a character, in the voice of that story, whatever that is, that time between action and cut. That's where I feel like I own my self, my talent, my craft, whatever you want to call it. Um, Least confident, 
auditioning. I, I hated that. I do not miss that at all. Having to say, I'm that person for you to hire. And I think that also comes from growing up in England, although, you know, plenty of English people are doing well, but it's that self-deprecating thing that is just a part of me that's in my DNA. It's, I was always like, I, I won't take up too much time and I won't get in your way. And then shifting that and going to Australia and fitting into that cultural dynamic, which is similar to England, but it's driven by the American focus as well, which is all very much hardcore selling confidence and owning it. And it takes you a little bit of time to get your head around it. And I think culturally for both of us, spending all of my youth and, and uh, majority of yours in Australia, coming to the States and then having people go like, yeah, I did, I did that, I did that. And I took, it took me a long time, but now I, to go like, yeah, I did do that, to have ownership over what you do and not feel apologetic or, or to even take a compliment is, I think, one of the greatest learnings of, of living in this country, right? Yeah, definitely. And retrospect is good for that, I think. Looking back and going, oh, I missed that opportunity to own that and let it soak in. And so then, you know, maybe that helps you with the next phase. And that, I think, probably changed a lot in my late 30s and early 40s. Definitely. Retrospect, I, you know, where you've had enough time to look back and go, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I have something like firm under my feet because I've made something and I've done something and I've created something. Yes, I have a body of work that speaks for itself. I don't need to sell myself and feel good about that. You know? That knowledge is, is priceless. And one of the things I, I really admire about you is your long-standing network of girlfriends, super tight, over 20 years easily, some in the business, some not. I thrive on my group of girlfriends. I feel they're so important and we all carry each other through at different times. Yeah, Naomi has a, a group, and, I, and this is the highest compliment, a big group of like cackling broads. Gotta love them, ladies. They're good. Well, the ones I've met, well, actually a lot of them now, I love them too. Yes, you came to my birthday. For, in Morocco. In Morocco for a day and a half in the midst of a fashion week. You're a hero. <laughs> What do you think is the most badass thing you've ever done? Well, when I was about 20, I was in the fashion industry. I was working for a magazine called Follow Me as a fashion assistant. And I was pretty sure I was on that trajectory of being in that world. But I'd had a sniff of acting and it had not been kind to me. And so I was like, no, closing the doors and an actor friend of mine was doing this weekend workshop and he said we don't have enough girls can you please do it and I'm like no I don't do that anymore he said please just do it as a favor and so I said okay fine I'll clear my weekend and I showed up and it was all day Saturday all day Sunday and by the end of Sunday the teacher said this is your calling you know that and you, you've got to do something about it. Do not close the door. Monday morning, I went into my office and called a meeting with my boss and said, I'm going to quit because I want to be an actress. And he was like, <laughs> he went, isn't that sweet? And, and he said, yeah, you can do that on your weekends. You can have a hobby. That's fine. Don't be silly. And I said, look, I'll stay for a month. And then within two weeks, I went on an audition for that movie, Flirting. It's a really, really touching film and it was a coming-of-age movie and that was your first... 
So when though, where is the order before flirting? This is important because we are talking about your seminal works. You were in a commercial for Australian lamb. And in the commercial, what happened in the commercial? I got a date with Tom Cruise. (laughs) (laughs) This never gets on. And what did you say? You you won the date with Tom Cruise on a radio competition, correct? Yes. Yeah. I was a girl in an office, a secretary or something. And the radio called someone from the radio saying, you've won a competition. And I said, oh, fantastic. What is it? You've won a date with Tom Cruise. And I go, oh, great. Win. And they said, oh, this Sunday. And I'm going, oh, no, sorry, I can't. Mum's cooking a lamb rose. (laughs) This is why she wins all the awards. Okay, now I I do something uh, to gift wrap this, to put a ribbon on it, uh, put a bow on it. We do something to finish this off, call it uh, 10 firsts. Oh, right, okay. Okay, number one, first drink you order. Uh, Pinot Noir or a G&T, a G&T. Oh, I like an Aperol. Oh, look, I'll do anything. I could, we could be here all day. <laughs> I'm not fussy. First thing you look at on your phone in the morning? Text messages, then emails, then, well, news, Instagram for a bit. Instagram is like at the end of all of those? Bullshit. First person you call? It depends on, on what the moment is. If you need a buck up, do you call Granny? Yeah, Nana's, she's good, solid advice. And my mum is really good when the chips are down. You know, I've got a few really great friends who are just super nurturing. I've got a good amount of lifelines there available, which is I feel very fortunate about. You have an equal amount of lifelines to alcohol preferences. Have you seen, guys? (laughs) There you go, options. Okay, I don't know if anyone, I keep asking this, but no one has seemed to have an answer. Is there a joke, a go-to joke you like or a joke you remember? I've got a clean joke. Why did the boy take his bum back to the shop? Because it had a crack in it. (laughs) I like that kind of joke. (laughs) Simple. (laughs) Okay, first fashion splurge, and then I'll backslash that with something else in fashion you've had recently that's made you feel good, but first fashion splurge. Oh, God. I'm into jackets and boots. Good shoes, always. Have you bought any winter jackets? Not yeah. not this year. Yeah, I know. I was like, where are we going? We're not leaving the house. I'm interested. Okay, what was your first date? Oh, my goodness. My first date. I remember being very young and thinking it was a date because there was a guy in the playground and I probably was around 11 or 12 and he started sticking his thumb up to me and giving me a wink and that sort of gave me the message that we were a thing he was a friend of my brother's so he was two years older than me and it was when I was living in Wales he did say let's let's go somewhere and it was like yeah where (laughs) like he would come around the house with my brother on a play date and then you know we might go off and look at the chickens or the goats or something Guys, but if you're into her and you see her on the street, just hit her, hit her with a thumb. She'll just get in your car and you're, you're an item. Yeah, yeah. Easy. You're so efficient. Okay, first thing you turn on TV. Well, right now, the, the news, round the clock. 
But if you're just wanting to like uh, just sit back and cleanse your head. I like a documentary with the kids, like the octopus thing. What was that called? The My Octopus Teacher, that's it. And you'll be appearing in the sequel. Yes, please. And yeah, any nature stuff, because my kids love that too. Thing you do or eat when you're stressed? Potato chips. Just regular or salt and vinegar? Salt and vinegar. Oh, crap. Last time I was at your place, they were everywhere. Yeah, my diet has definitely suffered. I go in and out of saying I'm giving up and then back on the train of trying to do better. But yeah, I've always been a potato chip girl. I love them. You do sometimes do really irritating cleanses for a long time. And I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, when was the last one? Oh, it was after uh, the holidays. It was a dry January. It was a dry February. I cut out wheat. I went very hardcore into greens and no sugars. And I felt great. Even going into COVID, I stuck with it for maybe a couple of weeks. First car you bought? A Mini Cooper. And I bought a car very, very early. I was about 16. I had done a couple of commercials. As you know, in Australia, you can learn to drive at 16, nine months. And as soon as I could, I bought a car. And it was from, if it wasn't the lamb roast, it was a tampon commercial, something equally embarrassing. Excuse me, lamb roast and tampons can get a girl a long way. Yeah. <laughs> and now look at you. Now look at you. Okay. Finally, what is the first thing you'll do when this goddamn pandemic is over? travel. I really missed traveling and being with my friends. Like, let's have another hurrah, please. A weekend of just wall-to-wall girlfriends in some nice place would be lovely. But it also doesn't have to be in a nice place. I'm happy to have it in my room. That, that real yearning you have just for a simple sit down with your mates. We'll get there. It'll get there. So look, this is why why I admire you, what's your name, what's really, you make hard things look easy. You have such a good spirit, incredible at what you do. You're loyal to your friends. You care about people. You have elephant skin. Um, you look so sweet, but you are the most tough bitch in town. And, and that's why you are a first lady. <laughs> a lady's first. Yay. This has been Ladies First with Laura Brown from Instar Magazine. We can be found wherever you get your podcasts and probably other places too. Thanks to our production team of pod people, Rachel King, Eliza Lambert, Danielle Roth, Anne Ford, the other Anne, Anne Kane, and Erica Wong. And thanks to Brian Anstey, Molly Stout, and Haley Mason at InStyle. You can find out more at InStyle.com. Find us on Instagram at InStyle Magazine, on Twitter at InStyle, and you can find me on Instagram at LauraBrown99. 